Good to see all of you here today. It's nice and cool in here, so I'm so glad you are here today. And I want to give you a quick update on Pastor Dave. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, he's one of our pastors here, and recently he had surgery. I uh, moved uh, a little less than half of his tongue because of cancer, and so uh, he's home recovering now. We believe that uh, our hope is that he's on, to, on his way to a full and complete recovery. He is starting to uh, eat more solid foods, can't chew yet, so uh, things that are like soups, but I, hopefully he'll start eating more solid foods this week, starting to talk more, and when the swelling in his tongue is completely gone, he should be able to talk just fine. So, so please keep him in your prayers. Um, he's doing well. Um, I think at the end of this week, uh, Thursday or Friday, he has a, an appointment with his doctor to get just the results of the lymph node test. So pray that all that comes back and it will be negative, okay? So uh, this week we have, is, uh, as Leanne said, we have VBS, Vacation Bible School, is going on. And it's called Shipwrecked. I understand that's the theme. And so our creative team created this huge ship that's going to go right here. It's going to take up half the stage. It's going to be really cool. We're going to leave it up here for you. We don't know where we're going to put the worship team next week, but it'll be up here for you, and it's going to be really cool. The kids are going to have a great time. About 280 kids, about 200 volunteers helping out. Thank you for all of you who are helping out and serving. Uh, it's going to be fantastic, but please, again, very important to keep, keep that in your prayers. Okay, so let's open up our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into today's message. Father, thank you so much. We thank you for air conditioning, God, and it's so good to be here this morning, um, not just because of air conditioning, obviously, God, but it's because we get to be in your presence. We get to be with your people, and I pray this morning we, that we would hear your word just very, very clearly to each and every one of us. And Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for Pastor Dave and the progress that he has made toward his recovery, and we ask God for your continued hand of favor to be upon him that his recovery, that his healing will be complete, that he'll be able to talk up a storm like he always does, that he'll be able to swallow and eat everything that he wants to eat. Uh, and we pray, Father, that the, that the lymph node uh, tests will come back and it'll all be negative. It'll tell us that uh, the cancer has, hasn't spread whatsoever and he's done with any kind of treatments. And so, God, we lift him up to you. We, we know that uh, you know, all these things are out of our hands, but they're in your hands, God. And you're such, a, you're such a big God, and you, you have such big hands. So, so I ask that you would, you would touch him and heal him. And Father, this week we're excited about VBS coming up. And God, thank you for all our volunteers, all those who are serving, and all those who are helping uh, to minister to these kids. And we pray that their ministry would extend far beyond just the kids, but that it will impact parents and grandparents and all those who are involved in, in, in loving these children. And we, pr we pray, Father, that the, the gospel of Jesus will be able to be proclaimed to them in such a clear way that many of these children will give their hearts to you. And if not, the very least, that seeds will be planted so that even one day as they get a little bit older and as they even as they become adults, they'll remember this moment and they'll remember that, that you love them. So, Father, thank you so much for all that's going on here. We commit uh, this service to you. Again, Father, I know we're tackling a very difficult and, and challenging subject and I just pray, I desperately ask that you would be the one to speak to us today. So thank you, Father. Bless our time. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, if you've been around here for uh, the last couple of months, we've been in a series called God Inside. And it's about the Holy Spirit, who is the God inside of us, who lives inside of us. 
for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, the subject of spiritual gifts. We've been examining spiritual gifts. And, and I just want to say, especially to those of you, if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, this is the last two weeks, last week and this week, you're hearing a, a, kind of a different message because of the nature of the subject requires us to go a little deeper, really dig deeper into God's Word, it requires you to put on your thinking cast. But, but if you hang with me, I think I'll take you on a ride and I think that at the end you'll be blessed by what you learn. So again, if you're checking this out for the first time, you know, this is not how we do things. Uh, come back. We'd love to have you back. We're blessed to have you here. Now, last week... Again, the nature of the topic, last week we looked at spirit, the spiritual gift of tongues, which is classified as a sign gift. Now, if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to, to go back and listen to it on our YouTube page, SBCC Live. You can access it by just going to our website, clicking on the media tab, and that'll take you right to it. But listen to it if you missed it. Get caught up because really last week's message ties in directly to this week's message. They really kind of go together. So uh, you can also listen uh, on your smartphone if you have our uh, SBCC app. So go to the, the Apple Store, the Google Store, or the Play Store, whatever it is, and download the app, and you can watch it on your smartphone. So let me give you kind of a recap of what we learned uh, last week. And so here's what we kind of learned last week. First, according to the biblical record, we learned last week that God clustered miracles during four specific time periods, during the time of Moses and Joshua, during the time of Elijah, and Elijah during the time of Daniel, during the time of Jesus and the apostles, for the specific purpose of validating the messenger and authenticating the message that he preached to reach unbelievers. That was really what we found. That's not to say that miracles didn't occur in other during other times, of course they did, but four specific times when miracles just exploded onto the scene. We also learned last week that four of the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12 are classified as sign gifts. Those would be the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, and the gift of tongues. And we learned that tongues was a sign gift so that believers would know that they had received the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 2. And we learned, according to the biblical account, that there are two types of tongues. Now, not everyone agrees with this, uh, but I, that's what we found. It's, it's very clear. There are two types of tongues. The first, found in Acts chapter 2, were actual human languages, intelligible human languages that you can understand. And the languages were listed there. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul seemed to suggest that there's another type of tongue, and that's the tongue is a prayer language. Uh, it's a tongue is a prayer language. And this is the issue that people have wrangled with, church people have wrangled with um, for years. And, and that is whether or not these gifts, all the sign gifts, like the gift of tongues, whether they're still operative today, whether they're still normative today, whether they continue on today, or whether they have ceased. And so there are two camps, we learned. There are two camps regarding the gifts. The group, one group is called the cessationists, and they believe that the gifts have ceased, that they have stopped. They're no, no longer normative or operative. And then there are the continuationists who believe that the gifts continue on even today, and they're normative and they're operative even today. Now, with regard to the two types of tongues, one is the human language, the, the intelligible languages. The other is the unintelligible prayer language. Regarding those two gifts, both camps tend to lump these tongues together, these two gift types of tongues together, and they say that they've all ceased or they've all continue on. There's no middle ground. Well, last week I proposed a third option, and that is what if tongues as a language 
has ceased, but tongues as a prayer language continues on today. And that's kind of where we left off last week. So this week, I want to continue on a little bit, and hopefully it'll all make sense. Now, as I said last week, this is a very controversial and very complicated subject that has just busted churches uh, wide open. I mean, churches have split over this. I mean, some terrible things have happened in churches. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've come from some of those churches, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. You know, I just want you to know the only one who ever wins when church people take sides on, an, on a doctrinal issue or other issues in the church like this, the only one who, who wins is the devil. One side or the other does not win. Uh, the devil's the only one who wins when a church splits over these kinds of things. And I realize that sometimes you've got to take a stand. You've got to stand up for what you believe to be true. But you also need to be wise and pick your fights and know what's worth fighting for and what's not. Now, the only one who wins is the devil. Now, in tackling this particular subject, I tried to lay aside all of my biases, all of my preconceived ideas, all of my previously held views on tongues and these gifts, and all that I, I just endeavored to do one thing and one thing alone, and that was to see what God's Word has to say about this subject. That was the only thing. I, I put it all aside, and that's why I asked you last week, whatever you came in thinking about these gifts, check it in at the door and be open to what God's Word has to say. That's what I try to do. I have some very strong views about this. Uh, I had the strong views coming into this, and then I just asked God to speak to me very clearly about what His Word says. And I just want you to know, His Word, this is our authority. It's not our experience that tells us what's true. It's the Word of God that tells us what's true. Right now, as I indicated just a minute ago, for, according to 1 Corinthians 12, there are four spiritual gifts that are classified as sign gifts. Let me show them to you. I'll put them up here on the screen. Uh, by the way, Hopefully you received a Baywatch. It's important you received a Baywatch because I've got a little table in there that I want you to follow along uh, with me on. But not all the verses are listed there for you because, again, we have a lot of verses to cover. We're just digging deep into God's Word today. A lot of verses to cover. Uh, the key verses, the essential verses, uh, are, are, on the, are on your sheet. They're also uh, in your SBCC app. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll let you know which ones are on this. But all, this, all the verses will be on the screen. This one is not, is not in your notes, but this is on your screen. I'll put it up here for you again. 1 Corinthians 12, 8, 9, and 10. And here, I'm not going to read it to you, but take a look at this. I've, these are the four sign gifts. These are the four sign gifts according to 1 Corinthians 12. Healing, miracles, prophecy, and tongues. All right? We kind of touched on this last week. And again, um, a lot of folks believe that these gifts have ceased. Right now, before uh, we get into our actual text today, I want to tell you a little bit about the third sign gift that's listed here. That would be the gift of prophecy on, on the left side. So healings, miracles, to another, the gift of prophecies, and the gift of tongues, which we touched about last week. Now, just like tongues, the cessationists believe that the gift of prophecy has ceased. They believe it has ceased. Um, continuation... Continuationists, on the other hand, believe that the gift of prophecy continues on today, that it's valid today, that it's operative today. Now, you might remember this other verse I want to show you, and this one is in your notes. I didn't show it to you in its entirety last week, but here it is, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 10. And, and let me read this to you. It says here, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. And I highlighted that. 
As for tongues, they will cease. Highlighted that last week. That's what we focused on last week. They will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, here's the key. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, most cessationists will point to this verse and argue and make the case that prophecies have ceased because the perfect has come. All right, verse 10. But the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, the, the partial will pass away. Again, it's a very difficult passage to understand, a very difficult passage to wrap our heads around. We're going to try to do that this morning. There's, there are a couple different views on this. Everything hinges, everything hinges on the word perfect down in verse 10, all right? So in your notes, if you want to circle that or in your Bible, circle the word perfect. Everything kind of hinges on this word perfect, all right? Now, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Well, what's the partial first, all right? What's the partial? Well, the partial refers to the gifts that are listed here, the gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge, and the gift of prophecy. That's the partial. And the fact that these are referred to as partial means that they are temporary. They are temporary. Tongues are temporary. Knowledge is temporary. The gift of prophecy is temporary. And many cessationists believe that the perfect, they're going to pass away when the partial comes, the perfect refers to the Word of God. All right? They, it, perfect refers to the Word. Sherry, would you just leave that verse up there? We'll just leave it up there for you just to kind of keep looking at that. They believe that the perfect refers to the Word of God. They say that when the Scriptures are canonized, when the Scriptures are complete, these gifts will cease, prophecy, tongues, and, and knowledge. Well, as you well know, the Scriptures have been completed. We have before us the completed Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible. This is, these are the Scriptures, the completed Scriptures. Now, the last book that was that was completed, or last, the last book in the Bible that was written, the very last one is the book of Revelation, at the very end of your Bible. That was the last book that was written by the Apostle John, who was on the island of Patmos, roughly around the year 90, 95 AD is when he wrote the book of Revelation. But it wasn't until August the 28th in the year 397 that the Bible was deemed complete by a council of church leaders that met in Carthage, Africa. They were the ones who determined that the scriptures were complete. At this get-together, the council was referred to as the Council of Carthage. The council got together and they affirmed, they affirmed as completely authoritative the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament, the Bible. And after their affirmation, after their meeting at the council, we got the Bible. It was at that point determined that this was complete, that this is the Word of God, right? If the Bible, now here's the thing, if the Bible is the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13, if this is it, and the Scriptures, the Bible was deemed complete in the year 397, that would mean that these gifts would have ceased in 397. Now here's the problem with that. Now that's what cessationists believe, but here's, what the, here's the problem with that. According to that interpretation, what, what, what that doesn't take into account is that the Bible, according to the Bible, there are people who will speak in prophecies during the Great Tribulation period just prior to the second coming of Christ. The Great Tribulation period hasn't happened yet. It's all written, it's written all about here in the book of Revelation, for example. We studied this a couple years ago. It's amazing. But during that time, People actually speak in prophecies, all right? Take a look at Joel chapter 2, verse 28. 
And it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Notice it says, I will pour out my spirit. You and your sons shall prophesy. These are all future tense, right? These are all future tense. This is not this prediction, this prophecy in, in the Old Testament by the prophet Joel is not about today. It's about what will happen during the great tribulation period. In other words, this is a future event that is yet to take place. And here's the thing. If prophecies, if the Bible says that people are going to speak in prophecies later on during the great tribulation period, then that creates a problem. That creates a tension. This couldn't possibly, I mean, the, the perfect could not have been referring to the Bible because that was completed in 397. Can't possibly refer to the completed scriptures. Another view held by continuationists is that the perfect refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. They argue that after Christ comes, there won't be any need for these gifts because he is the perfect and, and all these gifts will cease. Now, there's certainly some truth to that because after Jesus comes, we won't need anything. I mean, he is the perfect. But one of the problems with this interpretation is the word perfect in 1 Corinthians 13.10. It is neuter. It is neuter. Now, I don't know if you know this, but all Greek nouns have a gender. They are assigned a gender, masculine, feminine, and neuter. Now, by the way, I, just for the message, this message, actually I do it quite a bit, but we're going to be referring to Greek words quite a bit because the New Testament was written in the Greek and our Bible is an English translation. Again, I repeat this quite often because for, new, for the sake of new visitors. But our translation is, is the English. And the English doesn't always translate the Greek correctly. So we go back to the Greek periodically to see what it really means. All right? And so the, the, the word perfect is the gender, is a neuter gender. Again, all Greek nouns have genders assigned to it. <clears throat> and if the word perfect is neuter, if it is neuter... That would seem to rule out that the perfect would be a person, all right? And again, the continuation, continuation, continuation to say that the perfect refers to the second coming of Christ. Well, this, there's a problem here, right? So what's the perfect? If it's not the Bible, the completed scriptures, and if it's not the second coming of Christ, what is the perfect? Well, in the Greek, the word perfect is the word teleos, and it means to have reached its end. Or it can mean complete in all its parts. The perfect is complete in all its parts. In classical Greek, teleos meant lacking nothing necessary to completeness. So if the word perfect means lacking nothing in, in completeness, I believe that it, this refers, it, the perfect probably refers to a time and a place. A time or, and or a place that has reached its end, that is lacking nothing in completeness, that is complete in all its parts. So what could that be referring to? Well, if it's not referring to the Bible, if it's not referring to Christ, then what could it be referring to? Well, I could only think of one thing, and that's heaven. Heaven is perfect. Heaven is lacking, complete and lacking in nothing. And there won't be any need for any of the spiritual gifts when we're in heaven. See, I believe that heaven is the perfect Heaven is the perfect, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. So let me read it one more time. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect heaven comes, 
the partial will pass away. So I believe the perfect is heaven. When heaven comes, all the gifts, including the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues, will pass away. So what exactly is the gift of prophecy? What's the gift of prophecy? Does the gift of prophecy mean that there are prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah running around today? Is that what that means? Well, according to Pastor David Platt, there are three categories of prophecy. All right, let me give them to you. He says there are three categories of prophecy. I, I agree with them. First, and again, you, there might be some space in your notes to write these down. I didn't make space to write these down, but you want to write these down, you can. He said, first, there's false prophecy. There's false prophecy, which he says, and this is his definition, consists of dishonest lies, deceptive speech, not based on divine revelation, not based on divine revelation. It ignores divine scripture. It undercuts the word of God. And he says it is spoken by false prophets who claim to speak the word of God, but they don't. All right, they claim to speak the word of God, but they don't. And there are many examples of false prophets and false prophecies in the Bibles. Let me just give you a couple real quick. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 15. I'll just put it up here for you. God said, I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. In Jeremiah 23, verse 25 to 27, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How, how long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. As you read this, I mean, it's very clear. It is an egregious, egregious, serious sin to speak false prophecy. And that's what false prophets do. So that's the first category of prophecy, according to to David Platt. Second category of prophecy, he says, is true prophecy. First there's false prophecy, and then there's true prophecy. And true prophecy, he says, consists of divine truth. It is revealed by God to his chosen prophets. We see this in Scripture. Hebrews 1.1, put it up here for you. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. He spoke to the prophets. And then the prophets spoke to us. And here's an example of what he's talking about. Hebrews 1.3, or Ezekiel 1.3. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest by the way, Ezekiel was not only a priest, but he was a prophet. He was one of those rare individuals in the Old Testament who was both priest and prophet. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi in the, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And so this verse tells us that Ezekiel was a, a priest and he was also a prophet. And the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him and the word of God spoke to him. God spoke to him and he gave him divine revelation And then when Ezekiel, when God spoke to Ezekiel, Ezekiel turned around and spoke to the people. Or he wrote down what God said to him, and those words became the word of God. Contrast that to, contrast Ezekiel to a false prophet. Whenever a false prophet spoke, he spoke lies because his words didn't come from God. But when a true prophet spoke, those words were the words of God because he was given divine revelation. And God spoke to him, and then he spoke to the people. Sometimes the divine revelation that God gave to a prophet was instruction and wisdom, like he gave to Solomon. That would be the book of Proverbs. That's an example. Sometimes he would give us divine revelation that was historical, like we find in Genesis or First and Second Samuel. Sometimes it was the declaration of judgment 
that we hear of or that we read of in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Sometimes it was praise as we see in the book of Psalms. Sometimes it was a prediction of things to come as we saw in the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. Whenever God gave divine revelation to a prophet, that prophet would write it down or he would speak it and it would become the word of God because it came directly from God. And that's how we got the Old Testament scriptures. God gave divine revelation to Old Testament prophets. They spoke it and they wrote it and we got the word of God. Here's what the Lord said to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 30, verse 8. Put it up here for you. And now, go write, it, go write it before them on a tablet and scribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. God said, write it down. Same thing to, prophet, to the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.2, 2, when the Lord replied, write down. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So he'd write it down on tablets and it, and it was there available for the people to, to read. It was, became the word of God. And in the Old Testament, God revealed divine truth to prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Daniel and Elijah and Elisha and Micah and Obadiah and Jonah and, and all kinds of folks. And even Abraham and Moses, even, even Abraham and Moses. Now, I, don't, I know that when we think of Abraham and Moses, we don't often think of them as prophets but in fact, they were prophets. So Genesis 27 says it calls Abraham a prophet. In Deuteronomy 30.10, take a look at this one. Put it up here for you. It says, and there was not, has not arisen a prophet since, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was actually a prophet. And again, we don't think of him as a prophet, but he was actually a prophet. Again, he was a prophet because God revealed divine truth to him, divine revelation, and then he wrote it and spoke it and it became the words of God. And there were not only Old Testament prophets, but there were New Testament prophets as well. We saw this last week, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're members of the church built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles and the prophets. So the church, Paul said the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Right? And prophets. And just like in the Old Testament, God gave, gave divine revelation to New Testament prophets. And they would, God would speak to them, give them divine revelation. They would write it down and it became the word of God. That's how we got the New Testament. And the prophets would be the apostles. It would be Mark and Luke and James and the apostle Paul. They would write it down and that's how we got the New Testament. And because... This is important because the entirety of the Bible, the entirety of Scripture is divine revelation given to God's Old Testament and New Testament prophets. This book, the entirety of it, this book is true. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is perfect. It is sufficient for life and godliness. And it is complete. It is the complete divine revelation of God. This is it right here. And this is where groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the Christian scientists run afoul because they will say that you need the Bible plus the Book of Mormon plus the writings of Joseph Smith. And they will say that you need the Bible plus the writings of Charles Taze Russell and the Awake Magazine and Watchtower and their own version of the Bible. Or you need the Bible plus the writings of Mary Baker Eddy and on and on. That's where, that's where you be, become a cult. When you take the Word of God and you add to it, and you pervert it. They don't need to do that. 
right? You don't need the Bible plus something else. This is all you need. All you need is the Word of God. There is no more divine revelation. It's all here. It's all contained in this book right here. Finally, uh, David Platt says there's a third category. There's a third category of prophecy, and that's the gift. And that's the gift of prophecy. Third category of prophecy, it's the gift of prophecy. All right, so let's examine this. The Greek word for prophecy is the word propheteia, propheteia. It's derived from two Greek words, compound word. First, the word pro, which, which, which means before, and phemi, which means to speak. You put those words together, and you got propheteia, and it means to speak forth or to speak before. That's what it means. And so that's what the gift of prophecy is. Prophecy is, it's the gift of speaking forth or speaking before. It is not the gift of predicting the future. We automatically think, oh, prophecy, oh, tell me about the future. Well, it could, it could prophecy, or telling the future could be part of it, but that's not all of it. Prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. It is uh, not just predicting the future. Here's what David Platt said about the gift of prophecy, and I like it, so I'm going to put it up here for you. He said, there is a type of speech that consists of spirit-prompted talk, saying something that God, by His Spirit, brings spontaneously to our mind, and we begin to speak. It involves direct, indirect speech based on, this is the key here, based on established revelation. So it's the gift of prophecy, some kind of spirit-prompted talk that the Holy Spirit brings to your attention. Perhaps it's spontaneous, it's direct or indirect, and He speaks to you, and you speak it, and it is based, and what you speak is based on divine revelation. It's based on the Word of God. It's not new revelation. It's based on the existing divine revelation from God. Platt goes on, this is not a new Paul on the scene getting new revelation that's coming down the pike to give to the church. This is the Spirit speaking to us prompting us to speak based on what's in this book, based on what's in this book, and it's tested by divine scripture. And he quotes 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. You test, you have to test whatever is spoken uh, as a result of the gift of prophecy that somebody might have. Does not involve receiving new divine revelation from God. We've got that already. It's proclaiming some kind of a message based on existing divine revelation. So it's the ability to speak forth, divine, the gift of prophecy, the ability to speak forth a message based on existing divine revelation. And as Platt pointed out, it is prone to error, which is why it must be tested. Because those who speak, those who might have the gift of prophecy are, are humans. They're, they're people. And they're, they're imperfect. And they're fallible. And they make mistakes. You know, on Thursday... I received a letter from someone who lives here in Southern California, uh, not too far, about 20 miles from here. It was addressed to me. Dear, it said, Dear Pastor Shiohama, and it was signed. And, and, and here's what, I've got the letter here if you want to see it. Here's what he, he wrote. This part of it, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but here's what he wrote. Uh, second paragraph. A massive earthquake will soon strike California. Multitudes will perish. Many will also die in the aftermath as chaos and lawlessness will rule. You must warn your congregations to leave now. This will be the last warning to evacuate prior to the greatest earthquake in the history of the United States. He goes on, those who continue to ignore his warnings will have no excuse when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Prophetic warnings regarding this event have been going out to California since the 1930s. And that's just part of what he wrote. Right now, when I read this, the first thing I wondered was, why does this man still live in Southern California? Right? 
Wow, why does he say, I mean, not like 20 miles from here. Now, what concerned me, what concerned me is that he seemed to suggest that this was some kind of a prophetic warning from God. That's a prophetic warning from God. I mean, he was very strong about this. So I decided to look him up. I found his website. And in his website, you click on, you know, the about tab, right? I clicked, and he claims to be an apostle. And we talked about that last week. Remember I told you, I explained what an apostle is. It gave you the definition of the apostle. Someone came up to me and said, oh, you're an apostle. I know I'm not. Yeah, you're an apostle. No, I'm not, right? Because the scriptures tell us who an apostle is. They've been personally called by God. They've personally seen the, the resurrected Christ, uh, those kinds of things, right? Um, he, he, he claims to be an apostle. And so what do you do when you get a letter like this or when you get a word like this? If you want to call it a word, right? What do you do? You test it. You test it. And the reason you test it is because the gift of prophecy, if this is what this is, if it's a you know, prophetic word, is, is imperfect and it is fallible. On the other hand, prophecy or divine revelation was given by God and it is perfect and infallible. It's perfect, but we're not. And even I can make mistakes. Even as I teach, I can make mistakes. And I have made mistakes. A prophecy that's given today is mistake prone. So you test it. And it. Therefore, if someone came up to you and says, God gave me a word for you, what do you do? Well, you don't just believe it. You test it to make sure. You don't, I mean, God gave him a word or her a word for you. Well, how do you know that was God? Right? You, you test it. Um, if you were to test what this man said, you might ask yourself questions like, where does it say in the Bible that California is going to be hit with a massive earthquake and we should run for the hills? Where does it say that? Where does it say that, we should, that if we ignore this warning, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will have no excuse? Where does it say that? Right? It doesn't. Which would lead me to believe that if, in fact, this is a prophecy, and again, it doesn't claim that directly, but if it was, then it's not worth the paper that it's printed on. That's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about a massive earthquake here in Southern California or in California because we live in earthquake country. We should be concerned about that you should have some readiness in your own family. Big earthquake could strike here at any moment. Just a couple weeks ago, scientists said there's a big earthquake going to hit on the, along the San Andreas Faults. Now, if he was simply taking that and reiterating that, that's fine. Right? But it, it seemed to me that he was claiming this to be some kind of a prophetic uh, word, and, and that's what you, so you test it. Okay, so there are three types of prophecy. According to David Platt, there's, there's false prophecy, there's true prophecy, which is divine revelation from God, which is perfect and infallible, and then there's the gift of prophecy, which is speaking forth based on God's word, which is imperfect and fallible. Okay, so that's the background for today's message. All right, now let's get to, to the to message. All right, so now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, most of these verses are listed there for you on your sheet, but turn to your Bible if you can. That's, that's even better. And I want to show you what the Bible has to say about speaking in tongues. Last week, I speculated that tongues as languages, as, a lang as languages may have ceased. All right, that was my speculation. Not based on 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, that when the perfect comes... Uh, it'll pass away. But rather, I believe, you know, I suggest that it might have passed away because we don't need a sign anymore. We don't need a sign from God that we receive the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God that tells us that when you give your heart to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, 
I want you to know that I, I, I believe this to be the case. I believe this to be the case that the gift of tongues as languages have ceased. That's, what, that's my opinion on it, that, that it has ceased. Now, I believe that as an intelligent language, it has ceased even though, and I believe that even though it doesn't say that it has ceased. Uh, you, can't make, you can't use 1 Corinthians 13.10 to make that case, I don't believe, and I showed you why. Uh, it, but I believe it ceased in the same way that the Bible says miracles, um, apparently miracles have ceased uh, after Moses and Joshua. And it, it ceased even though the Bible doesn't say that it would cease. And miracles would cease after Elijah and Elisha. It ceased even though the Bible didn't say that it was going to cease. And miracles ceased after Daniel and the apostles even though it didn't say it was going to cease. You see, the scriptures don't have to say that something is going to cease in order for it to cease. And at the same time, it doesn't have to say, the Bible doesn't have to say that something is going to continue on uh, for it to continue. Now, I believe that tongues as an intelligible human language uh, have ceased. Now, that's not to say, and I mentioned this last week, that's not to say that God can't miraculously enable someone to speak an intelligible human language that is not their own. I mean, that's, that's possible. Mark could all of a sudden break out in whatever language you want to, Right? Whatever that, God could do that, right? But I believe, for the most part, it is not normative. And I believe that these gifts have ceased. Now, as for tongues as a prayer language, I threw out the possibility last week that it might still be normative, that it continues on today. Not because the scriptures say so. Again, the scriptures are silent on whether it's normative. And I don't believe that you can make, again, make the case out of 1 Corinthians 13 that it is ceased. That said, that said, I want you to take a look at what else 1 Corinthians 14 has to say about tongues. And I'm not going to be able to cover every verse. There are 40 verses in this chapter, so I'm not going to get to all of them, right? I'm going to just hit on the key ones. And this is very, this is very eye-opening, all right? Very eye-opening. It was eye-opening for me, all right? So let me just read the first two verses. Start right here. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2. Pursue love, Paul wrote, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, but, and we talked about that, right? But one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he understands mysteries in the spirit, right? First, let me just say this. I believe that tongue, the tongues that Paul is writing about here is not the tongues that are intelligible human languages, but rather I believe he's writing about tongues as a prayer language. I think that's what he's writing about. Because right here at the top, verse 2 he says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. We examined this last week. The word tongue, for example, is singular. You can circle that, circle that if you want to. It is singular. It is not multiple languages. It is a single language. And according to this context, this tongue, according to this verse, this tongue is unintelligible. You can't understand it. It is a mystery, and it is spoken to God. It is addressed to God, which means it is a prayer. Whenever you talk to God, that's a prayer. So it's a prayer tongue. It is a prayer language of some sort. And my study suggests that tongues as a prayer language is the subject of this entire chapter. That's what this is all about. It's all about it. starts at the top and all the way through. And, and, you'll, and you'll see that. In this chapter now, in, in chapter 14, Paul contrasts, he contrasts two of the spiritual gifts. He contrasts all throughout this chapter, he contrasts the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. He puts them side by side, lays them out so that you can see the differences. And so what I had to do was I had Nicole create this table for us. 
so I can show you the contrast in the scriptures so I can point out several things. This is the table we're going to look at, all right? So, and you, and you see that that's on your, uh, your notes there. So there's tongues and prophecy. And the four things we're going to look at that the scriptures talk about here are the purpose of tongues or actually the point of tongues, the profit, the benefit of tongues, the problem with tongues, and prophecy, I should say, not just tongues, but prophecy, and the proposition or the, or the, um, the admonition, all right? So first thing I want you to, know, to look at is the purpose or the point of, of tongues and prophecy, all right? And the first purpose or point of, pro- of tongues is to speak to God. We just read that, right? It is to speak to God in verse 2. All right, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. So on your table, under tongues, write this one down. Write speaks to God, all right? So write speaks to God right there. That's the point of uh, tongues, It's to speak to God, right? Now, here's the contrast. The purpose of prophecy. What's the purpose of prophecy? It's verse 3. Take a look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. He speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. All right, so the, the point of prophecy, or the purpose of prophecy is to speak to people. And again, you, we, we covered what the gift of prophecy is. It's speaking forth, it's a type of speech that consists of spirit-prompted talk, saying something um, that God, Holy Spirit, brings to your mind based on established revelation. That's David Platt's uh, definition. So under prophecy, heading right there, write, write it down. It speaks to people. All right, so tongues speaks to God. Prophecy speaks to people. So here's a question. Which one is better? All right, which one is better? We'll come back and answer that later, all right? Here's the second comparison. The second comparison would be the profit or the benefit of the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Take a look at verse 3 again. Go back to verse 3. It says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. Why? For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, right? It, it builds up. It encourages. It consoles. So you can write that one down. And you, Why don't you just write down, it builds up the church, right? It builds... The benefit of prophecy, it builds up the church. The profit of prophecy, it builds up the church. And this is a good thing. Every time someone speaks prophecy, speaks forth the word, it ought to encourage, it ought to console, it ought to build up the church. Now take a look at verse 4. Here's the benefit of the prophet of tongues. Verse 4 says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church, right? So the profit of the benefit of tongues is that it builds you up. It builds up yourself. All right, and this verse is often translated, the one who speaks in tongue edifies himself. Now, is there anything wrong with edifying yourself? Is there anything wrong with building yourself up? No, nothing wrong with that. However, however, the implication of the second half of this verse, that the one who prophesies builds up the church, the implication is that it is better to build up the church than it is, than it is to build up yourself. All right, so... Um, Take a look at the problem, all right? And we, we put build self up, right? And we, we build up the church right there. Okay, good. And build self up, good. All right? So now take a look at, here's the problem, the third category, right? The problem with the gifts. The problem with the gifts. And, and that's starting in verse 5. And there's a bunch of verses here, so let me read them to you. Just pay attention to this. Starting in verse 5, he writes, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. There it is again. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? How's it going to benefit you? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? 
So with, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. And then jump down to verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Jump down to verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? And for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I'm going to stop right there. So what's the problem? What are the problems with tongues? Well, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of problems with tongues. Again, I'm talking about tongues as a prayer language. First, it's unintelligible. It's un- no one can understand it. No one can understand it, so write that one down. It's unintelligible. And I think the verse that sums this up the best is verse 9. Verse 9 says, So with yourselves, if, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Right? Paul says, if you pray in tongues, it'll be like you'll be speaking into the air. I mean, these aren't my words. All right, don't get mad at me. These are Paul's words. He says you'll be speaking in the air. A second problem, according to verse 14, is that when you pray in a tongue, it says your mind is unfruitful. Circle that word unfruitful. It is, it is a Greek word, akarpos. And it means barren or profitless. So if you speak in tongues, he says your mind is barren. Your mind is profitless. So underneath, it's unintelligible. Write this, right? It's unfruitful. And then if you jump down to verse 23... We'll put that up before you. It says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So a third problem with tongues is when outsiders and unbelievers hear you speaking in tongues, they might think you're crazy. And the, and the Greek word for crazy is minomai, and it means raving mad. That's the definition of, of, of the Greek word, minomai. It means raving mad. They're going to think you're raving mad. You're a lunatic. So write this one down. It sounds crazy. So this passage points out three problems with tongues. What's the problem with prophecy now? Right? What's the problem with prophecy? Well, there aren't any. Paul doesn't list any. There's, there's nothing here. So you can write that. Write down nothing. Now look at Paul's proposition or admonition. That's the fourth box on the left. Right? This is Paul's admonition or proposition as to what the church should do in regards to the practice of the gift of tongues and prophecy. Verse 13, first he says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And then jump down to verse 27. If anyone in a tongue, uh, if anyone, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at least at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Again, I just want to point this out to you, but notice here in verse 27, and even in verse 13, the word tongue is singular. Again, that suggests this is a prayer language, not human languages, all right, a prayer language. And I say, you know, whenever it's single, it seems to be, refers to a prayer language. Paul said that even if you're praying in your own private prayer language, if you're praying it out loud in the public arena, in the public square, in a church setting, in a small group, at a prayer meeting, in a church setting like this, then someone must interpret. Otherwise, he says, if there's no one to interpret, then he says to keep silent. 
And, and part of the reason for this instruction was so that there might be order in the assembly, order in the church, right? And he wrote this in the very last verse, very last verse in the chapter, verse 40. Put it up here for you. Or it's on your notes. But all things should be done decently and in order, right? He writes it so that there would be order in the church, order in every meeting. So if you pray it out loud, unless someone is there to interpret, you shouldn't do it. Right? Now, you know, I've been to churches, and, I, and last night a bunch of people came up and told me the same thing they had as well. I've been in churches where everyone, including the pastor and the worship uh, leader and the worship pastor and everyone in the band, everyone's up there, and everyone was speaking in tongues, and some were even singing in tongues, and it was happening all at the same time, and no one was interpreting, and it was absolute pandemonium and chaos. It was like, what is going on here? What are they saying, right? And it was, and I would suggest, I, I submit, it is patently unbiblical to do that. The Bible says it, very clear, right? It's unbiblical. So Paul's proposition or admonition on the practice of tongues is very clear, right? Write this under the, under the box, under tongues. Get an interpreter, right? That's the admonition. If you're going to do it, get an interpreter. Make sure that there's someone there to interpret. Now, with regards to Paul's admonition, for the gift of prophecy, here's what he said, verse 39. Second to the last verse in the chapter. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Interesting verse there. My brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. And if you jump all the way up to the very top, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So in verse 1 and verse 39, he says, earnestly desire, earnestly desire, um, to prophesy. This is the Greek word zeloo, zeloo, and it means to burn with zeal. Burn with zeal to prophesy. Burn with zeal to prophesy, right? Because prophecy, why? Because it, it, it builds people, it builds up the church, it speaks to people, and it builds them up. Burn with zeal to minister to others. Burn with zeal to encourage them. Burn with zeal to console them. Furthermore, in verse 5, we read this earlier. Paul said that the one who speaks, who prophesies, one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. And then look at verse 19. He added in verse 19, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul said he would rather prophesy five words than to speak 10,000 words in a, in a tongue. And no wonder, if you look at this table, take a look at the table again. If, no wonder, there's no comparison. Hands down, the gift of prophecy is far greater than the gift of tongues. Now that's, that said, that said, Paul said at the very end of verse 39, I'm going to go back to it, I want to go back to it, I'm not going to ignore it. Paul said at the end of verse 39, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Yeah, he really said that, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And I think that by adding this phrase, at the, almost at the end of the chapter, he was acknowledging, the Apostle Paul was acknowledging that speaking in tongues was a legitimate spiritual gift if exercised properly, right? If exercised properly. So right under get an interpreter, uh, under the tongues heading, um, right, do not forbid. Right, so, so let me summarize for you what we've learned here and where we're at, all right? First, there are two types of tongues. I believe there are two types of tongues. One was an intelligible human language given as a sign that I do not believe is normative today. Um, second, although I don't put it past God to enable someone to do that, second is a prayer language 
which appears to be normative. Prayer language is, appears to be normative. However, it's clear from 1 Corinthians 14 that it is fraught with problems. You can't understand it. It doesn't build up the church. It could sound crazy to outsiders and unbelievers. And there's the potential for abuse. Which is why the scriptural admonition is that tongues should not be exercised in the church unless there's an interpreter. Right? Therefore, the position that we've taken here at our church is that if you do pray in tongues, if you do pray in tongues, it is best exercised in private between you and God. Right? If you do that between you and God, you're not going to have these problems. With regards to the gift of prophecy, I think the scriptures are inconclusive as to whether or not it has ceased or whether it continues. There are a couple things we can be certain of. First, we don't need prophets and we, we don't have prophets today who are running around like we did in the Old Testament and New Testament. God spoke through prophets uh, in the past. And when he did, he gave them divine revelation. And it's all in this book. There's no need for divine revelation. Be very careful if someone says, I got a word from God and it's a brand new word from God. Be very careful of that. It's, this is complete. It's all right here. Right? It's complete. And this, the Bible doesn't need to be revived. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be added to. Everything we need for life and godliness is right here. And it's our responsibility to know what it says, to study it and to read it and know what it says. And that's what I've endeavored to do for you today. Second, we should never put it past God. Never put it past God to grant someone the gift of prophecy and to speak a word that will build you up, to encourage you and console you. At the same time, always take care. Take care. Take care should be taken with this gift because those who exercise it, imperfect and fallible so test what they say right test it against the word of god right that's it that's it for today um hopefully we'll get to uh hopefully we'll get to the spiritual gift of healing and miracles next week but i just want to tell you i just have loved um studying the word of god and i've gotten so much more out of this i can't i went into this with some preconceived ideas about what it was. It's like, it's all, no, it's all ceased. And, well, this is very eye-opening for me. And again, you, we have to be true to ourselves and true to the Word of God. What does it say? I probably spent about 80 to 100 hours just studying these two passages. And it's a great, great joy. And I hope that you will become students of God's Word. And, uh, you know, here's the other thing. Let's, let's pick and choose our battles very carefully. I don't think that the, the gifts is an issue that, that is worth fighting over. Right? And some of you might be here, you might disagree with me, and that's totally okay. And I, and I, I might even be wrong on some of these things. That, would, that wouldn't surprise me either, because I'm, I'm, um, I'm fallible and I'm imperfect. But we that's where we test it, right? We test it, and we just come humbly before God and ask Him to reveal Himself and His Word to us. All right? So let's close our time in a word of prayer. Father, what a great journey this has been. And I remember a couple months ago when Pastor Greg and I talked about doing this series, I dreaded the thought of having to speak on the gift of tongues and the gift of healing and prophecy and all those things that, that are often so controversial in the church. I, I dreaded it because I didn't want to offend anybody and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I, and I just thank you, God for what you've shown me in studying your word. You've really opened my own eyes. And I pray that every one of us, God, would be, become diligent students of your word, that we would study your scriptures daily, that we would know what it says, 
that we, we, that we would live the way that you want us to live, that we would practice the things that we're to practice and that we would stay away from untruth and error. Continue to open our eyes and our hearts, God, to what it is that you have to say to us. We thank you for your word, your completed word, your divine revelation to us. May it continue to transform our lives and make us the people that you want us to be. So, Father, thank you so much. Thanks for your word. Thanks for our time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.